Let uh, me start out by telling you guys that this is the uh, relaxing part of the program. When you look at that schedule, uh, you realize right away that when the guys come all the way from California or Georgia, they have a pretty succinct title to their talk. You better pay attention. When they bring a guy from a couple of mountains over and say songs by John, you can relax. <laughs> I get to follow Palomo. That's wonderful. He used all my stuff. It's alright, I'll get back at him. <clears throat> I was going to play a couple of songs. I um, started coming up here, I don't know, whenever they first started doing these. 18 or 20 years ago or whatever. I still haven't caught on, but I'm still coming. And uh, you saw behind this screen, there's a picture of the cattle coming down through the valley. And I've looked at that a lot of times, and see, that's right on cue. See how well that's done? And uh, I thought to myself, a couple of songs come to my mind that I ought to sing one of these days up at this thing. And uh, one of them, appropriately enough, is Peace in the Valley. And... Uh, I actually wasn't, uh, I was doing this today just for entertainment purposes, but I was thinking I'd sing uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky. Um, both of those are deeply religious hymnals or hymns and very appropriate. So I'm going to do uh, both of them, and um, that may be all I do, but I'm going to do both of those. If you don't know uh, Peace in the Valley, it's written by a guy by the name of Thomas Dorsey. And if the name Tommy Dorsey means anything to you, you're either telling people what your age is, or for a young person, you have a strange taste in music. But he wrote Peace in the Valley, and it's taken, as a lot of songs are, out of Isaiah 11, one of the really colorful prophecies. And uh, you'll hear some of the words if you don't know the song, if you're not familiar with it. But listen in there, and it'll say things like, uh, there are the bear will be gentle and the wolf will be tame and the lion will lay down with the lamb and the host from the wild will be led by a child. Those are the words out of Isaiah 11. So, This is Peace in the Valley by Tommy Dorsey. I am tired I am weary but I must toil on till the Lord comes to call me And the Lamb is the light, and the night is as fair as the day. There'll be peace in the valley for me someday. No more sorrow, no sadness, no worries will be. There'll be peace in the valley for me. There the bear will be 
cold as fear and gloom as they thundered through the sky. We saw the riders coming hard. They heard their mortal cry. E-P-I-E-O. They're trying hard to catch that hurt, but they ain't caught him yet. Cause they're gonna ride forever on that range up in the sky. And the horses snorting fire as they ride by here and cry. Looked on by it, he heard one call his name. If you want to save your soul from hell riding on this rain, then cowboy change your ways today, or she will ride. And it's this devil's crosses into the sky. things I'm sure you'll pick up this weekend is if um, you want to be a disciple, you got to be a disciple. I think that'll come through fairly clear. And um, I thought I knew you'd get tired if I tried to uh, sing you a song for 45 minutes. So I brought along a uh, spiritual teaching tool. I can't, uh, I don't know anything about a PowerPoint. So I brought this. And the reason, the reason I brought this, and it's so small, is because it's church training. Um, you, you take this to a church and you hold it up, and the people in the back, you see them kind of nudging each other, saying, what has he got? What's he got up there? It teaches you to come to the front of the church so you can see what this is. This is a miniature version of an hourglass. I call it a spiritual training tool because I can't run a PowerPoint. But there's a, I've given a lot of thought to this hourglass over time, and it seems to me that there's some pertinent illustrations we can get out of this thing. They won't be as elegant as uh, what Kelly was telling us, but I think the message will come across. And that the first one is, uh, I've thought about a lot of it in terms of salvation. You know, there's a, there's a, if those two pieces don't have that little tiny channel in between them, uh, nothing passes either way. You know, and I think it's been said there's, we all kind of have this God consciousness, this gap. We somehow know we think clearly. Sometimes the thoughts just overwhelm us. But we're thinking and we realize there's something out there. And yet we're not, we're not connected to it. And we understand as we listen to the story that what, what keeps that connection from, from being able to go across there is, uh, sin. Uh, this is a very small gap. Um, Luke 16 talks about the conversation going on uh, between uh, 
the, the poor man in the, in the bosom of Abraham, remember, and the rich man, and they're having this conversation. And when the rich man finally gets back to the issue of why he can't relate, the comment is, between you and I, there's a great chasm fixed. It doesn't matter how long the gap is, as long as there's a gap there. We can't relate to God. Somehow that has to open up. And that's one of the fascinating things to me about grace, is it opens up that little tiny channel so that we have access, so that God can come into our life, and that we can begin to relate to Him. And and the interesting thing, too, is that um, that's a very small passage, and it doesn't take a lot of sin in our life to kind of clog that passage back up. And we can start off with Christ and be in a kind of a euphoric position, and everything's going well, and all of a sudden we start to lose that. We We can't understand why. And what's happened is we've got... We've got some sin clogging that little passageway in there. And God can't relate to us because it, it's clogged. We don't sense him. We don't sense his spirit. As Kelly was talking about being spiritually sensitive. So there's several things that fascinate me about grace, but there's that simple idea that God can bridge that gap by his grace. I was listening to a study one time, uh, again, been at this about 17 years, in Walt's studies, and, and still haven't caught on, but uh, he was talking one day about the fact that we're called to emulate a lot of things that we saw Christ do, a lot of things that God calls us to do. One thing we're not emulate, called to emulate is the grace of God. And the reason is, is because grace requires perfect knowledge. It's by definition unmerited favor. So it requires perfect knowledge because God cannot be disappointed by us. We're certainly going to disappoint Him. It's just not going to surprise Him. And grace is is the, is the thing that starts it. It's the thing that uh, allows us to have this passageway cleaned out every once in a while. It's the thing that impacts our, our prayers. Anyway, I was I was thinking about that, what what Walt was saying, and I got to thinking about some of the uh, the elements of grace, and I really appreciate Kelly giving me a promo on this, unknowing though it might have been, because um, when I finished writing this song, I titled it The Trace of Grace. I didn't know somebody else had already used that.
apart from the gift of God's love. Would you ever conceive of a plan that would offer salvation to man? Were the pardon extended to all those intended was bought by the blood of the one most offended. You'll find love, you'll find mercy in faith. Even trust, though it's often misplaced, But you find a trace of grace in this world, apart from the gift of God's love. Can we truly believe there's a way God will grant what we ask? When we pray, it's naive to believe we could truly receive unmerited favor based on our behavior. You'll find love, you'll find mercy and faith. Even trust, it's often misplaced, but you won't find a trace of grace in this world, apart from about this time in the program you guys start falling asleep on me so. I've got this song I figure you need a song for about every occasion and I wrote a song oh it's been a long time ago now because I thought I might get into a situation where I needed something that was kind of along the line of a fire and brimstone hoedown <laughs> I haven't had much occasion to use it but uh I thought this might be the time. The challenging part is it's a kind of a participation song, and uh, TJ pointed this out earlier. I've, I've been up here several times, and as I scanned the crowd, it's a song that requires timing and rhythm. <clears throat> it is amazingly Caucasian in here sometimes. So we're going to try it. I'm just going to proceed on faith that it'll work. The real trick is that you have to be able to clap your hands twice on time, pretty much together, and at the right time of the song. So that's where the trick comes. You're actually going to get to do it two or three times during the verse, 
So you, want, you kind of want to get set up and get ready. Because it's not going to be easy. This song, appropriately enough, is called Hell to Pay. And the part comes in. About the time you hear me do that, then you'll be too late. <laughs> See, that's where you're supposed to clap. So, we're going to do one little rehearsal. Now, this is a chorus only. I'm not going to test you on the verses at all. This is just the chorus. I think you'll catch on pretty quick. There are those who risk a dollar to try and save a dime. And those who risk their lives for what is labeled a good time. But when it comes to taking chances, there's not much to say. To those who will ignore the truth, then there'll be hell to pay. Where do you stand today? What do you plan to say? You know where will you go? You've got hell to pay. There'll be no time to pray. Come the judgment day. Your name's not in the book of life. There'll be hell to pay. Hey, now you guys are going to be good at this. I can see it. Okay. All right. Now, now that you know where to clap and where not to. It's a test from here on. We've done so well, I'll just move right along. You may have the feeling life's a bit of sinking sand. If you don't know God's the master and he has a master plan. If you can't tell he's the potter and you can't see we're the clay. You don't miss a message. There'll be hell to pay Where do you stand today? What do you plan to say? Who do you know? Where will you go? When you've got hell to pay There'll be no time to pray Come the judgment day If your name's not in the book of life There'll be hell to pay How you can live forevermore You may try to earn God's favor And that can be a chore If you're looking for the path to life The Lord says I'm the way Those who meet you be home Even there's hell to pay Where do you stand today? What do you plan to say? Who do you know? Where will you go? You've got hell to pay, there'll be no time to pray, come the judgment day. If your name's not in the book of life, there'll be hell to pay. Everybody now, where do you stand today? What do you plan to say? Who do you know? Where will you go? When you've got hell to pay, there'll be no time to pray, come the judgment day. If your name's not in the book of life, there'll be hell to pay.
yourselves a hand. talked a little bit about salvation, so now let's talk about another hard word, and that's sanctification. I remember, and I think a lot of you probably had this experience, you first accept Christ, and um, you know, it says in the Bible that God's invisible, and no one's seen God at any time, and we get the little sense of this invisible aspect just kind of flowing into our lives and amazing things begin to happen and you know you hear guys in their testimony share this release of the burden and the great peace and all the things that we that we have it's an amazing it's an amazing thing that begins to happen but you know after a while it it seems like that that kind of stops and and then there's there's a little more to it somebody kind of raises the ante a little bit and what begins to happen is we we have this Christ is our Savior thing, and now we're we're run across this business of Christ wants to be our Lord. And and uh, you know Kelly told us we're supposed to be spirit filled, but I mean the spirit only fills about so much, and we got this part down here that's already cluttered up. And there's a lot of this clutter that's in the very areas of our of our lives that God wants to be in. And we tend to have a lot of this uh, stuff, you know, pride and self and stuff like that in our heart. And as he pointed out in Luke 9.23, when, when the disciples asked Christ about being a disciple, that's what he said. Deny yourself. And deny means to disown or abandon. So in reality, what, what then has to begin to happen is we have to empty ourselves for God to fill us, we have to begin to unload some stuff. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have to change who you are. God made you unique in who you are. But when Kelly talked about Romans 12, 2, that word transformed is the same exact Greek word that in Matthew 17, 3 is transfigured. It means to be completely changed to take on a different form see god doesn't just come to you and say we're going to make a you're basically really good you're fine just need to make a few subtle little adjustments in your thinking that's not what he's saying he's saying that the renewal of the mind that we're talking about is a transfiguration there's going to have to be a complete change and so you're going to have to empty out an awful lot of stuff if i'm going to be able to fill you up so so we've got this process going on, and it feels a lot like this thing sometimes is on a teeter-totter. Have you felt that? You know, I mean, God's filling me, and then I'm full of myself, and then God's filling me, and then I'm full of myself. And, and that happens a lot. And, and it also feels like, like you know, I've, I've got to kind of push my end up to get, to get emptied out like I need to be. I need to push my end up. But Paul said in Romans, no, that's not it at all. Christ has set you free from the law. Law didn't save you. You can't, you can't do this of yourself. It's not so much that the reality is that we're not we're pushing up, but that we've got our hand up here keeping God from tipping this thing the way he wants it. 
And we've got to learn to kind of release that. And as I've thought about that a lot, I've asked myself, well, you know, in reality, what, what is it that God really wants us to give him? What does God ask of us? And, uh, you know, again, I have these thoughts, and then I think, well, I'll forget them if I don't put them in a song. So that's where these songs come from. But that that giving thing is uh, is where this song called... Um, what this is a real clever title uh, what do you give to god but it, it talks about what i think god wants us to give to him what do you give the god who has all that he
who made you when you stand before the throne of him who's truly in command what will you bring to him to offer at his throne all you your life has grown So give him love With all sincerity Give him praise And all humility Honor him It's another thing this little thing is valuable for, and that is it's an indication of time. Works really good that way. I grew up in a little town down in the southeast corner of the state, and I was really small just in the early school years. My mom was a school teacher, so I used to uh, have to go. My dad worked in an implement store. I used to have to go there after school until my mom was finished teaching school and just bored to tears. So he would have me draw something and then I would still be bored to tears. But they had a little hourglass, just a little bit bigger than this one. And so I figured one way to pass the time was to uh, let this thing run from one end to the other and then flip it back over. And if I did that about eight or ten times, it would be ready to go home. So I understood early on that that's kind of the way time works. I mean, it just kind of slips through that little channel like that. And uh, I've thought a lot about this. You, you ever stop and wonder how many grains you've got left? You know? I could close my eyes and I could uh, envision the crowd that's been here in the past. Not too many years past. Two or three guys aren't here anymore. Run out of grains. Some guys get big hourglasses, like Bob Sr. Some guys don't get big hourglasses. But we don't know. We really don't know where we are in this process of having these grains slip slowly away. But here's the important thing. What happens when the last grain drops through there is it's not so much a transformation, it's a confirmation. Wherever you are, when that last grain drops through, that's what the final measuring thing looks like. If you haven't taken the opportunity that you're going to get this weekend to open this channel up, it'll confirm that. If you've 
thought a little bit about maybe emptying yourself, but you haven't really gotten around to it, it'll confirm that. If you've emptied yourself, if you've built upon the foundation, which is Christ, it'll confirm that. But when the last grain drops through, it's not that we're looking for a transformation, we're looking for a confirmation of where we've been in God and what we've done. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time and place. When we conclude that you're in control, we conclude that there are no accidents. And so we must conclude that we are not here by accident. That you have something for us, that you have something to say to us, that you want us to have our minds changed and renewed, not be conformed to the world, but transformed. That happens here by the power and direction of your Holy Spirit. We look to you because when we are totally lucid in our thinking, we realize that just who we are in light of who you are and cry out in dependence upon you. So make this a time that truly does change us. For some, open a channel that's not open now. For others, show them how to unplug the channel. Show us how to empty ourselves. Show us how you want to fill us. Keep keep the illustration simple, Father, because that's when we understand you best and when we know that your plan is indeed the plan that you have for our lives. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over for side two. How many of you guys in the room, uh, does the name Rehoboam ring a bell to you? Rehoboam. Okay. Write those guys' names down and don't play Bible trivia with them. Rehoboam was uh, Solomon's son. And the... uh, followed him as the king of Israel. And if I ask you if you know Solomon, probably got a pretty good show of hands if I ask you if you know Rehoboam. So people say, who? Well, there's a point to that message. You run across my name somewhere down the road, and probably what will occur to you is you'll say to yourself, that's the guy that followed Kelly. <laughs> I met Kelly about, uh, I think about 15, 18 years ago, something like that. And he made a marked impression on me. About 10 or 12 years later, hadn't thought of him. And uh, I saw the first uh, Energizer Bunny commercial. And he came back to my mind. And he's slowed down a lot since then. So, you guys have been in the situation of hearing some great guys that, that know what they're talking about. So, I hope you appreciate that. Understand what that means. This is the relaxed part of the program. 
which is pretty easy for me to do unless I'm helping some officials do a ball game. Uh, I can stay pretty relaxed. And I'm just going to uh, sing a few songs, uh, use some less sophisticated teaching methods than you've been than you've had today because I don't know how to run a PowerPoint at all anyway. So um, you can just kind of relax and we'll uh, wind the thing down. Don't wind down too far. Um, I may ask you to participate a little later on. So I don't want you to sleep when we do that. But I came up here. Uh, I said it was 23 years old. This this uh, retreat. I came to the second one. If my math is right. That's 22 years ago. I think I've missed about six of them, which means about six of them have had somebody capable in this spot. But when I came up here about uh, 22 years ago, I saw this picture up above. You heard Bob Foster talk about where it came from and how it was developed. And thought to myself, you know, there's a couple songs come to my mind when I look at that picture. One of them is Peace in the Valley, and the other is Ghost Riders in the Sky. And I uh, came up prepared to do Peace in the Valley. And then I got clearance from Tom Callahan to do Ghost Riders in the Sky. So uh, I'll do both of those. This is the, uh, I don't, I'm not creative like Kelly. He redid his thing from the first session. I'm still practicing mine. So it's going to be about the same one that was first time. Peace in the Valley was written by Thomas Dorsey. If the name Tommy Dorsey means anything to you, you're either telling people what your age is, or if you're young, you have a strange taste in music. <laughs> Taken out of Isaiah chapter 11, one of the great prophetic pieces of Scripture. So you'll recognize some words in there like, the bear will be gentle and the wolf will be tame and the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's, that's where he got the, the song. I'm tired, I'm weary, but I know, till the Lord comes to call me, where the morning is bright, and the light is the light. And the night is as fair as the day. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. Peace in the valley for me, I pray. No more sorrow, no sadness, no worries will be. There will be peace in the valley for me. For the bear will be gentle and the lion will lay with the lamb and the host from the wild 
Cowboys, so it fits. If it doesn't, we'll just make it fit. The old cowboy was riding out one dark, windy day. On ridge, he rested as he went along his way. Their eyes were blurred, their shirts all set with sweat. 
They're trying to catch that bird, but they ain't caught him yet. Cause they're gonna ride forever on that range in the sky. Horses still can fly. They ride on the This is my idea of a uh, PowerPoint. <laughs> I brought this little tool along. <clears throat> you can't have one of these unless you have a game of boggle, but um, I brought this along because it strikes me that there's several illustrations you can learn from an hourglass that I think pertain to what we're talking about this weekend. You have to be a disciple to be a disciple. You have to be a disciple of Christ to be a disciple of men. And I think you have to be a disciple of your wife to be a disciple of men, and a disciple of your children to be a disciple of men. Throw me in the back. And so, I was thinking about some of the illustrations that, as as I've thought about hourglasses, fit. And I think the first one is just in the simple terms of salvation. That what we what we really talk about is um, it doesn't matter how much this little gap is between these two sides, but. If that gap is not open, if there's not a if there's not a connection there, then you have nothing. And we've you've heard it a dozen different times already. That what what bridges that connection? All of us, I think, have a God consciousness. You can't go out and look at the skies and not get some overwhelming sense that God's out there. We may reject Him, but He's there. But we are not connected. In Luke 16, you remember the story of the poor man in, in Abraham's bosom. They're talking across to the rich man. He used to eat scraps under his table. And as this conversation goes on, and the rich man's talking about, what can I do? Can I help my brothers? And so forth. And Abraham says, no, between me and you, there's a great chasm fixed. So it doesn't matter if it's an inch or a mile in making difference. It's 100,000 miles in making difference. Until that connection is made, then we can't have God in us. And that's what we're after. And as I've thought about this little, little tiny connection that allows this to all happen, it's, it's grace. And we forget how amazing grace really is. You know, the, Paul had to admonish the Galatians because he said, well, you understood that you started in grace, but you forgot that you have to continue in grace. The process is always grace. Our prayers are by grace. And grace is unique in that we're, we're asked, we're commanded to do a lot of the things that Christ emulated for us. 
I said in a study one time listening to Walt, and the point he was making was that, that we are not called to emulate the grace of God because the grace of God requires perfect knowledge. You need perfect knowledge to be disappointed and not be surprised. And that's why our relationship's based on grace. We'll disappoint God, but we won't surprise Him. And our relationship, our prayers, everything has to do with grace. And grace is only by the love of God. So as I was thinking about those things, one of the, one of the habits I have is I think about thoughts like that and I try to put them into songs because I can remember them better. So, and Kelly didn't give me a, a lead-in. Last night he, he talked about um, the idea of a trace of grace. And it worked out really good because that happens to be the name of this song. But I wrote this song and tried to incorporate some of those thoughts in it, and, and I hope you hear them um, as we go through it. Could you give everything you hold dear without ever incurring? That the gift might be taken, but your love forsaken by those who come short of your high expectations. You'll find love, you'll find mercy and faith, and even trust, though it's often misplaced. Apart from the gift of God's name, would you ever conceive of a plan that would offer salvation to man? Or the pardon extended to all those intended? Bought by the blood of the one most offended. You'll find love, you'll find mercy and faith. And even trust, though it's often misplaced, but you won't find a trace of grace in this world. Faith, even trust, 
It's often misplaced But you won't find a trace Of grace in this world Before we lose you, I, uh, I mean to sleep, um, I've been told you need a song for every occasion. It occurred to me about five or six years ago that there was one occasion that I hadn't written a song for. It's what I would call a fire and brimstone hoedown. So I wrote one. I haven't had occasion to use it because I keep coming up here and I look out across the crowd. It's incredibly Caucasian. It's kind of a rhythm song. You don't require some timing. So, uh, Ron, if you'll just bear with us. Uh, it's not going to be good. Here's the trick. You'll catch on pretty fast because there's a little kind of a lead into the thing, and that is when I hit that twice like that, you clap twice. Now... The goal is to have you clapping at about the same time I'm doing that before the song's over. So, you know, I'm not, I don't have high expectations here now, so don't get me wrong. But, it's called Hell to Pay. Does that seem appropriate? There are those who spend a dollar Try and save a dime Those who spend their lives on gold Is labeled a good time but When it comes to taking chances There's not much to say To those who really know the truth There'll be hell to pay Where do you stand the day? What do you plan to say? Who do you know? Who you go? You've got hell to pay There'll be no What do you think say? 
So it's a good illustration for salvation. The question is, what can we learn from this hourglass about sanctification? That's the process that we go through. And it, it tells us in the Bible, it's on one hand, it's a completed act based on our belief in Christ. And on the other hand, it's a process that we go through with God. Wherein he tries to, as Kelly was so eloquently pointing out, fill us with himself. And I think a lot of you, if you if you would hear a lot of testimonies, guys talk about they're they're brand new in Christ, and God just I mean does amazing things. He just keeps answering whatever prayer they fire up there, He answers it, and it just just gets the overwhelming sensation of Him coming into their life, and you know He's invisible, and we get this impression that He's just He's just pouring in on us, and then we go a little ways, and that kind of fades a little bit, and then somebody brings idea that not only does God does Jesus want to be your Savior, but He wants to be your Lord. Now we have a little problem because He's He's trying to fill us, but if we look down here, we're still kind of full of ourselves. And there's some there's some places that He particularly wants to be that we particularly want to retain for ourselves. There's a, you know the, our heart, the throne of our life. That's that's where pride loves to sit right on the throne of your life. But Jesus said, no, I want to be Lord, and I want to sit there. And so what really has to happen is, you have to begin to empty yourself. So what it talks about is in uh, the, the verse in 12.2, Romans 12.2, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the same word that in Matthew 17 is transfiguration. And it means a a total change. It means we have to undergo the metamorphosis, if you will. That word really is talking about. And so we have to empty ourselves for Christ to fill us. And what it really looks like, as I've thought about my own experiences, it's kind of like this thing's on a teeter-totter. You know, and sometimes I understand that, like Kelly was saying, sometimes you're, you're filled and you're sensitive, and other times you're full of yourself and you're not sensitive to anything except yourself. And it's it's just his teeter tottering back and forth, and and we get the sense that it's such a struggle that we have to kind of push our end up, you know. But Paul tells us in Romans eight that's not what it's all about. It's Christ has set you free from the law. You now function by grace. God, Christ through the Holy Spirit can do all that for you. It's not so much a matter we need to push it up. What we need to do is keep from pulling it down. And that's what he wants us to see. We empty ourselves. He can fill us. Until we begin to empty ourselves, He can only put about so much in there, and then ourselves are going to take back over. So I got to thinking about, you know, what, what is it that, that we, we do, what is it that we can give to God, knowing that God is God, that He is the Creator of all. As Paul reminds us in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, what do you have that you haven't received? Name one thing. What do you have that you haven't received? What did you make out of nothing? 
What did you create without something already there? And so Paul goes on and says, if you received it, why do you, act, why do you boast as if you hadn't? It's the way we tend to live. So I was thinking, what do we give God? And, and uh, that's amazingly enough what this song is called, What Do You Give to God? And I think hopefully within there is the answer. What do you give to God who has all that he needs? Who has a great and their deeds? What do you offer him that's not already his? The God
so give him love with awesome Give him Last thing this hourglass is kind of good for is uh, remind you of time. I grew up in a little town out uh, on the southeast corner of the state, about a mile from the Kansas line. And when I was little, my mom was a school teacher. My dad worked in an implement company, and I had to go from school to where my dad worked until my mom got home. And uh, most of the time, I can remember, even though I was very young, just being bored to tears. And uh, so they'd have me draw pictures until I got tired of that. But they had one of these hourglasses. And so how do you pass the time? Well, you watch the time pass. That's how. And when it got to one side, I'd flip it over and watch it run to the other side. And as I, I've reflected on that a lot. You know, you see these grains going through there at that nice set tempo, and it seems like there's a real pattern. It seemed like when I was that age, it took about, this thing I think last five minutes, took about an hour and a half for that to happen. Now it takes uh, about five seconds for that time to go by. But the point is, these grains run through there, and uh, you know, as we sit here tonight, we don't know where we are in terms of how many grains are left. I can close my eyes, I've sat in front of this group for a lot of years, and I can close my eyes and I can picture guys that aren't here anymore. Colin told you about Tom. You know, we don't know what's in the hourglass. We watch somebody like Bob Foster. He's got a huge hourglass. But we don't know what ours looks like. What we do know is what Winston told you the very first night, and that is that death does not transform. It confirms. Wherever you are, in Christ or apart from Christ, filled with the Spirit, filled with yourself, wherever you are, when the last grain goes through, that confirms where you're going to be for eternity. That is when the sanctification process is completed. So we have to think about, in terms of time, how much time do we have left? How much more? How many more grains? Nobody knows. How many more grains pass through before your time is done? If you're going to make a change, when are you going to make it? Now? A couple years? When? When are you going to make the change? God wants you to empty yourself so that He can fill you. When are you going to do that? God wants you to open this channel by accepting His Son. When are you going to do that? That's the question. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the time. It's been uh, an absolute delight to watch men who have committed themselves to You, who have allowed You to uh, fill them as they empty themselves. 
and they bring to us truth, and they bring it in a in a very insightful and a very uh, a very warm manner. And yet we have to admit it pierces us. It somewhat angers us because uh, the simple fact is that uh, the truth hurts because we don't like what it says. So we ask you to uh, soften our hearts. Only you can do that. Only the presence and power of your spirit can perform that. And uh, we're dependent on you to do that. We're dependent on you to change our lives. And we pray, God, that uh, there's enough grain left in our hourglass that uh, whatever you want to make of us, we're going to let you do that before our time runs out. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah, when you said you didn't know except yourself. And it's it's just his teeter-tottering back and forth. And, and we get the sense that it's such a struggle that we have to kind of push our end up. You know, but Paul tells us in Romans 8, that's not what it's all about. It's Christ has set you free from the law. You now function by grace. God, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, can do all that for you. It's not so much a matter we need to push it up. What we need to do is keep from pulling it down. And that's what he wants us to see. We empty ourselves. He can fill us. Until we begin to empty ourselves, he can only put about so much in there, and then ourselves are going to take back over. So I got thinking about, you know, what what is it that, that we that we do? What is it that we can give to God? Knowing that God is God, that he is the creator of all. As Paul reminds us in, in 1 Corinthians 4 7, he says, What do you have? that you haven't received. Name one thing. What do you have that you haven't received? What did you make out of nothing? What did you create without something already there? So Paul goes on and says, if you received it, why why do you boast as if you hadn't? It's the way we tend to live. So I was thinking, what do we give God? And and, uh, that's... Amazingly enough, what this song is called, What Do You Give to God? And I think hopefully within there is the answer. What do you give to God who has all that he Can you say to God about the 
things you see. The God who knows the words you'll say before you speak. How can you? Give him love. 